Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Culture. Billy Pelser has a nice home. Billy, is that you? Yeah, Mom, it's me. A nice job. A nice girl. If you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. And loving parents who are about to give him... You're gonna like this. No, 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 don't shake it. We're gonna have to open it now. It won't wait till Christmas. The most unusual gift... He ever got. What is it? No. It's your new pet. Come on, Barney, be a good dog. My dad gave it to me. But there are a few things to keep in mind. If you expose it to the light, you may hurt it. If you get it wet, it will multiply. All that from water? They got wet? Yeah, plain water. And most important, no matter how much they beg, never, never let them eat after midnight. Because when they do... They change. They become clever. Mischievous. What's going on here? And dangerous. Gremlins, huh? Little monsters. Right. Hundreds of them. Well, I, I don't know, maybe thousands. these things where do they come from look i know it sounds crazy i know but in a few hours you're gonna have a major disaster on your hands <laughs> gremlins directed by joe dante they'll be expecting you hello everyone and welcome to a new intercults and culture and here with me is dan hey everybody and we're actually talking face to face bottom to bottom for the first time Yes. Well, not ever. Cheek we to have, cheek. <laughs> yeah. We have seen each other in the flesh more than one, once or twice. That sounds weird. I mean, like, <laughs> um, and we, uh, today we're talking about the 1984 film Gremlins, uh, family horror, um, extravaganza. And we actually did a commentary track for that. So if you head on over, we'll put it up on our Patreon, patreon.com slash new winter two W's. And we'll also set up a band camp, which will be in the description, uh, uh, notes for this show notes where you can click on and you can buy it there and you can watch it at the same time as we're watching it. So it's like, we're all watching it together, like one big happy family. Oh, um, so yeah, uh, I, um, love gremlins and we both do. I think we kind of established that uh, last night. Um, and it's by Joe Dante. It's produced by Steven Spielberg. Um, Chris Columbus wrote the story and it stars Zach Galligan and Phoebe Cates. And it is for people who don't know, basically there's this inventor guy who finds this, it goes to like Chinatown, basically finds this weird little creature called a Mogwai comes with a set of rules. And basically within the first few hours, they break all the rules (laughs) And he gives birth to other little gremlins who then um, 
basically become evil and take over the town and lay it to waste and they have to be defeated. And that's basically the kind of premise for the film. Um, Dan, one of your faves. A favourite Christmas movie, maybe? Or Possibly, one yeah. Um, one that I remember watching quite a young age and I've watched it um, quite frequently over the years, probably once every five years or so. So I've seen it quite a few times. Um, and I think, yeah, part of the enduring charm of it it's the fact that it does um, touch all those bases that you mentioned in your intro. You know, it's got a little bit of horror, quite a lot of kind of like B-movie horror mm. and sci-fi, which are referenced throughout the film in quite a nice sort of like nudge-nudge, wink-wink kind of way. Yeah. Um, but it's also got that kind of like warm family film feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and a Christmas classic, because it's all taking place at Christmas... Uh, sometimes people forget this is a Christmas movie, but I think aside from the fact it takes place at Christmas, it does have something of that kind of like nostalgic, warm kind of feeling that you'd expect from a Christmassy movie. And I think part of that is from the fact that there's constant references um, to a bygone era. Yes. Um, even though we think that this is, you know, it came out in 1984, we think it's set in the 80s because mm. there's a few things that date it. But almost everything else about it looks like it's in the 50s and 60s. Everything from, like, posters that are up to the TV shows and films they're watching Mm -hmm. to, like, the attire people are wearing. Yeah. So that gives it an instant kind of nostalgic haze, I think, Mm. Um, which, in a way, makes it timeless. Yeah. Um, It's... Spielberg was apparently very vocal about the fact of trying to make it very family-friendly, even though he was obviously aware that it was uh, quite had horror elements to it, and this and Temple of Doom, which is obviously Spielberg as well, um, basically made Spielberg ask for a PG thirteen rating in the states anyway, which it came into being just because of these two films. So essentially, being like, you can I don't know you know thirteen is kind of okay, still kind of family ish, without it jumping straight from PG to uh, like fifteen or whatever it was at the time. So, um, yeah, so it kind of made history for that um, as well. Uh, And it's weird because at the same time, um, Ghostbusters, it was released on the same day as Ghostbusters. and What a day. Great day, which is also comedy with horror elements. Yes. So it's kind of the thing maybe at that time um, where a lot of that was happening. And, yeah, and as you said, it does kind of hark back to like... um, you know, almost that Lynchian, like, American dream ideal kind of thing. And, yeah, all the kind of evil that runs beneath it. Um, I think one of the, when I was reading up about it afterwards and you were talking about it whilst we were watching it last night, the idea of, like, the greed of Western civilization versus the, like, the patience and the rules and the responsibilities and the history of, like, the Eastern um, culture and stuff like that. And that's why, like, the gremlins... I like eating and drinking lots and being idiots and like playing computer games whilst um, go, Gomez, Gomez, Adolf <laughs> family, Gizmo. Um, Gizmo is playing like the trumpet and all this stuff. There's the idea that these are like modern, brash, young, arrogant fools that turn into monsters. So I think, I don't know if there's this like kind of almost coming of age, like dealing with teenagers and all this stuff. Yeah. Because they do a lot of the... Um, uh, well, there was, I didn't realise this until afterwards as well. A lot of people said it was racist because of the way the gremlins, what they were wearing, they were like breakdancing, listening to um, like black music, I think, or something at one point I read, wherever all these, and what they, yeah, as I said, what they're wearing, that was um, like to do with African-American culture. And it's almost seen as like the gremlins are black and they're evil. That's a bit of a reach though, isn't it? I think, I mean, they don't actually exhibit enough uh, personality I think for us to make sort of spurious claims yeah like that but I do think you know something in that kind of um, it's representing like a generational clash mm. maybe um, yeah you've got this two these two concepts underpinning the whole film then of, of like old innocent bygone Americana yeah versus suddenly upheaved by the unruly, rebellious gremlins who mm. are like, yeah, maybe like new cultural 
idioms coming in. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, this whole, and this ties into the Christmas theme, this thing of, of like um, crass greed, uh, commercialization of Christmas um, versus the more kind of humble and, and responsible cliched almost like yeah. um um rules of, of like eastern philosophy um and then there's loads of ways and characters that tie into that like the dad mm. who makes these crappy inventions and mm. is interested in selling them and yeah and even the way the film starts you know he thinks he can buy the uh the mogwai and and that's what causes all the trouble in the first place yeah the, the great american dollar wins out yeah and that Discussion. And that's why he throws it at him in the end. Take your money. Yeah. <laughs> this is supposed to be for sale. Um, yeah. I'd like to be, I'd be interested in like what was happening behind the scenes when he found out the Mogwai was gone. Trying to get the grandkid to tell everybody if he decided it was a guy. <laughs> trying to track down this guy, find out whatever happened to try and get a gizmo back. Yeah, he's got a whole little story all to himself. Yeah. He? And it ends with him walking off into that really beautiful map painting. Yeah. Like an idealised... Yeah. Almost like Christmas. a Christmas card. Yeah, it is. It's really nice. Um, so, yeah, should we go into what actually happens in the plot? Yeah. A little bit. So it's quite, like, we were talking about this at the time. I'm going to keep saying that because but we do recommend you listen to the commentary tracks. It's quite fun to do as well, actually. Um, but it kind of starts off with him doing a voiceover. Uh, and as you said, that kind of added this element, the storybook slash fairy tale element to it to begin with. And he's walking through Chinatown. And it's it's really cool. And one of the things I'll just touch upon here that happens throughout is the way that it's like, um, well, the way that it's lit basically is very, it's a lot of like reds and blues and greens. It's very like sci-fi, kind of 50s kind of sci-fi, um, you know, 50s, like whatever, like sci-fi lighting, basically, horror lighting um, that's a, kind of attached more to like the B-movie uh, thing. It's not lit realistically or naturally or anything like that. It's these like deep, funny colors um which is quite interesting quite cool and he uses a lot of um like dutch angles whereby you've like you've kind of rotated the camera a little bit so it's a little bit skew with which you know jj abrams and all that loves to do um and yeah it just feels like quite stylized and adds a bit of energy into the shots as well there's a lot of dynamic shots so it's not just like you know two shot and then close up i um there's a lot of like it punctuates the action really nicely it's edited with some pace when it needs to be um and the shots are genuinely like uh, subconsciously interesting basically as you're kind of uh, kind of watching it one of the things that we were talking about is the fact that the gremlins are you know they kind of um as you said they don't really show them for a while and but you kind of hear things and see things that are happening off camera and then you see like the trail they've left or whatever which is quite cool um so all those kind of shots are like really super interesting and obviously it helps the puppetry team because they don't have to do so much and they're leaving stuff to your imagination um but yeah it's got a really cool style to it not only in the way that it's shot but um and you know not only directing the people and what happens in the scene but yeah just the way it's shot is really creative as well and you'll see like the shots become more start off very normal as it were and then as it kind of goes on and everything gets a bit more hectic the shooting style kind of um reflects that to me some of that lighting and that look really just reflects you know everyone on board is uh paying homage uh to some of those 50s sci-fi and uh well 60s sci-fi and classic b-movie horror films i think that's probably one way that you can Mm. kind of take this is that um, you know, it, it has got elements of that and having fun with the gremlins and mm. uh, obviously the energy of all of that is part of the appeal. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, as you said, it begins. He's got this kind of VO um, about, you know, uh, I can't remember what he's talking about, but it's just kind of setting up the scene, basically. Yeah, I can't remember what he said. But very, it's, very, it's very brief, actually. It's not even necessary. So there's a conscious decision, I think, to use that voiceover, mm. I think, more to frame this as a sort of mm. modern-day fairy tale. Yeah. Rather than actually give the, you any exposition. Well, yeah, exactly true. And it's as he's walking around and from what he's wearing and stuff, it is like, that's what we're saying, the thing. it's like he's a private eye. It's it like it's like, a film noir, like a pulp novel or something like that. Well, it actually that. looks like Chinatown, doesn't it? Yeah, literally like the Chinatown, movie. the movie. <laughs> Um, so he's, he's got that gumshoe kind of outfit yeah. to him. And which makes, and I suppose that's kind of part of the joke because he's kind of setting it up like that. 
And then when he finally like meets the old, um, he goes into the Chinese place, uh, the Chinese shop, and he's showing off his like crappy invention about the travel kit, which has like just a disposable, just disposable bathroom gear, like toothbrush and razor. Bathroom buddy. Yeah, the bathroom buddy, that's it. Attached to it, it make it kind of, because you're thinking he's like almost like he's a hardened detective to like, he's a bit of a numpty basically. Yeah, this is a really good like comedic moment already. And Mm. um, the way he just no-sells everything, he gets no response from this guy. He just looks so unimpressed. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, he, he finds basically the Mogwai, takes him out. And then as we, as he walks out, he, in a very weird slow-mo, which isn't, it's a fake slow-mo where they've just duplicated the frames, which is why it looks so strange. Um, instead of filming at a rapid frame rate, which you then reduce. So you say you film it 50 frames a second. And then when you uh, slow it down by half, it will look normal, even though it's going slower because you're still putting 25 frames rather than, Copying the frames over, which it looks like they've done here. Um, it's a bit of a technical thing, uh, which everyone could be able to figure out. So he talks about the rules. The rules being one, I can't remember the order of them, but one, uh, don't get them wet. Uh, first one, two is bright light. lights, light. Yeah, that's right. So one, one is light. Yeah, bright light. And no Keep direct out the light. sunlight. No direct sunlight. You're right. Two, don't get them wet. Three, and he says this is the most important one, though I don't understand why it would be more important or less than the others. Don't feed them after midnight. Well, it's important because that is the... Well, that's the catalyst, right? But it's like... Becoming a gremlin. Sunlight, you're dead. So surely that might be the most important one. But the second one is like, with the water, that's when he gives birth. Pretty important, yes, gathered. But then the third one is when they turn into actual... There's an escalation of severity for the human population, isn't there? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Okay, that's that's a good point. Um, so those are the three rules uh, which he's kind of come away with and um, yeah so he goes he, goes he reinterprets back. them slightly doesn't he when he conveys them to his son yeah by the time he gets back um, so then we go into like the town and it's all lovely and snowy and everything's like happy we meet his old um, racist uh, xenophobic neighbour who's all about buying American and all this <laughs> stuff um, and we joke about it but that's just like the I feel like that's He's meant to the be, norm. Yeah, now, he's, really. he's your like meant to be everyday average American, um, and he's a World War Two veteran yeah. and played by Dick Miller. Yeah, who he's great. again probably a conscious decision because he is a veteran of so many B movies like Roger Corman type films, mm. and um, so anyone who's like aware of him will probably spot him and go, "Okay, we're in this." Um, we're in, this is what's great is that, you know, it's a mainstream family film with all these great references to like being a, a B movie. Yeah. Um, and it does like handles, handles both mm. that like line of being authentic and true to both yeah. camps, I think really, really well. Yeah. And um, yeah. So uh, Billy, who's our hero, he's basically trying to get to work and he works at this bank where he hides his dog, which is really weird. I don't know why he has to bring his dog to work, especially when his mum's just sitting at home. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he brings his dog to work and yeah, he's running late and there's that whole like, Oh, ticking clock. Oh, I'm late. I don't know. Like, and the whole key thing in this film is responsibility. Um, and him learning how to be a responsible adult. So here he is with his job. Anyway, we get the, um, the evil woman, basically. Mrs. Deagle. Mrs. Deagle, well... Set up as an absolute pantomime villain of a bitch. Yeah. (laughs) And she's great. And the way that she talks sometimes when she's talking to Billy, it's kind of like verging on like flirty to like hateful. And it's like, like she starts every sentence flirty, like, oh, and then it goes like, because I'm evil. And (laughs) um, yeah, it's quite interesting. And she, I love the way she kind of just walks in with this, head of a snowman which looks kind of murderous in its own yeah horrible way like she's yeah. literally like the death of christmas she's yeah. like carrying it even though the, the story is that the dog's done it which is quite unlike poor old um what's his name was barney his name? barney played yeah. uh here with great aplomb by mushroom mushroom that's right what that's all i've never heard of a dog called mushroom before by the way um so yeah so anyway he's like you know oh my dog and she's basically saying i'm gonna kill your dog like she goes, you can either give the dog in and they'll put it to sleep nicely, or if I get my hands on it, I'm going to do it slowly and painfully. And I believe that's the word she uses. So again, yeah. there's this like she's a, like a real horror. The fact someone saying that in a family film, yeah, I'm going to kill your dog slowly and painfully. 
like in a big Christmas thing, it's like, okay, so this is kind of what, but also at the same time, it's done with like a kind of comedy. Sally and the dog comes out and knocks her over and it's like, oh, it's great. She's chewing on her arm. Um, so yeah, it's all like, oh, um, which is quite funny. And then we get introduced to Judge Reynolds. Is it Judge Reynolds? Judge Reynolds? I can't remember his name. Judge something. It's Judge something. And he gets set up as like the the foil almost, like the, uh, you know, the kind of cocky, responsible one though, who's like, I'm going to make a fortune, I'm an adult and all this. He's a sleazy kind of 80s ladder climber. Yeah, exactly. And he's the opposite to Billy. Yeah. And you think he might be playing a bigger part. He doesn't. He's just in a couple of these scenes at the beginning and that's it. Um, which is quite interesting. And the guy... He gets brushed off in this scene in the bar. Yes. And that is basically his raison d'etre. Yes. to get brushed off by... Yeah, um, um, what's her name? The, his, Phoebe. Phoebe Cates. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Thanks very much for coming. Yeah. Yeah, basically. <laughs> See you, Judge. Um, but the guy who he talks to at the bar, who Billy talks to the bar, is actually Chuck Jones. Yeah, uh, who did Bugs Bunny. That's the guy, apparently, who he's sitting at the, uh, at the actual bar with. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't recognise him. I wouldn't know what he looked like. So nice little cameo for him, I suppose. Yeah, nice little tidbit there. And this film, actually, and especially the next film, Gremlins Two, won't try to talk about that too much. But they are packed with nice little touches and um, like cameos. And and, it's very meta, Gremlins Two, really. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But so even but even here, little those little flourishes. Yeah. And so we get to see a bit of the home life of Billy and his parents and whatever. And you see like all the crappy, it was a running joke of all the crappy inventions that his dad's made. And there's like the one where he's trying to make the eggs. This is the, the juicer. They're all amazing. They should yeah. have put some of these into production and tried to sell them as yeah. merchandise yeah. off the back of the film. Um, they're all kind of horrible. But um, yeah, it's quite funny. It's a running joke, just how like awful and broken they are. Yeah, there's some good physical comedy here, isn't there? Like yeah. Trying to fumble around with the eggs. Exactly. A little bit slapstick. And so we see uh, the dad come back and we introduce to Gizmo properly now. We see him and he's this cute little fluffy creature and everyone's like, oh, right, well. Um, so cute. And he tells Billy the rules. It's like, you know, come on, you can't do this, you can't do that. So then takes him, it starts, takes him upstairs, plays a little bit of keyboard with it and they get to like like each other a bit more. Can hang out. just say one of those rules? So his interpretation of the water rule. Yes. And he's quite explicit with this. Yes. Don't give him anything to drink. And don't give him a bath. I mean, the, the damn thing's going to die if you don't give him any water yeah. to drink. I mean, we were discussing this at the time. It's like, I don't really understand why, like, how he survives then. Like, don't feed him after midnight. Am I supposed to feed him anything? And also, obviously, there's a the thing of like, well, it's midnight. It's after midnight everywhere. So, and like, what account, when can you? Right, you can't do it after midnight. Can you say, like, between the hours of midnight and 6am, you can't feed him, which would make more sense. Or just say till the sun comes up or something. Might just give it a bit more... These are the perennial, perennial questions that Gremlins fans have been asking themselves for, it's true, though. for over 35 years. Yeah, it's true. Um, again, but it's, that is, like, the fairy tale nature of it. It's like, if you scrutinise these rules, it don't make sense. Yes. But, so... So within literally, what, an hour or something, I imagine, of Billy getting him, he shines a bright light on him or, um, yeah, basically, um, and that little gizmo falls in a bin and his head has to be bandaged up. So sad. His little sad face. Yeah. So immediately Billy's, like, just not looking, like, not really looking after him properly already, um, which is really annoying. And then we get a little um, introduction to Corey Feldman, who plays his mate here. And this whole situation's weird because they go up to his bedroom and Billy takes his shirt off. Was um, <laughs> Corey Feldman there? And I think <laughs> apparently originally Billy was going to be uh, younger, and then he's not. But they kept Corey Feldman the same. <laughs> so um, fine. So his his best friend, basically in the whole world, world is a kid who's like eight years old. He's like <laughs> twenty one or something. Um, you might notice uh, things in his bedroom, like he's got the Twilight Zone movie poster in there, which obviously Spielberg did. Spielberg makes a cameo later on, as does the composer, um, who I'll go into in a bit. Uh, and yeah, it's um, but so Feldman um, comes up and basically spills. He's got his like. Uh, pot with paintbrushes in and accidentally pours the water onto Gizmo. So that's with, that's the next morning, the next day. So w- literally within 12 hours, sunlight and water. 
basically, or not sunlight, light, bright light and water. And this is horrific, this scene. This is really, really unpleasant because if you haven't seen the film before, you don't know yeah. what the uh, result of breaking these rules is. Mm. You, you just assume that he's going to die. It's really horrible. And yeah. the, the effects are brilliant. He's, but he's in real, like, the gizmo puppet is so characterful and expressive. So yeah, he's really in pain. It's really horrible. And his back's all bubbling and these things are popping off of him. Yeah. It's quite, you know, it's quite a cute way of giving birth compared to like how animals <laughs> do normally. But yeah, he basically, these little um, little fluff balls like pop out of his back again and it looks really painful for poor Gizmo. And then he gives birth to basically, a, like what, however many it is, like six or seven other little gremlins who are a bit more evil. And this is kind of what we were talking about. Like what makes Gizmo good? And the rest of them evil? Like, what's the kind of law behind it? What's the theory that every, literally every single thing he gives birth to is mainly evil? Yeah, and they've got this self-awareness. They actively want to eat after midnight and become gremlins. Yes. Um, and it also makes me wonder, because he knows, doesn't he, Gizmo? He seems so sad. Yeah. Um, and you wonder, how many times has this happened before? Yeah, in his life, yeah. It's true. What's Gizmo's backstory? Poor old Gizmo. Well, at this point, Billy takes uh, one of the um, creatures to. Well, we were like, is he just like a? Is he a doctor in some kind of lab, research lab, or something? No. Um, but he's just a high school. He's just a fucking high school teacher or something. Yeah. Um, but he takes him in, and the guy's like, "Oh, I'm going to do some tests on this." Um, Nasty guy. Yeah, and he's kind of not really being. He, what's weird is that you know when he's like drawing blood from him or whatever and all this stuff is he does it like he's super excited about doing these animal tests. Yeah, yeah. And that's what makes him... So he's not necessarily like he's evil. But he's not ethical. Yeah, exactly. And that it's comes like, up, Why is he it? getting a kickback off it? Um, Number, so Gremlins 2, we get a, even more of this, of these guys being portrayed as just like irresponsible, like Frankensteins almost. Yeah. Wanting to tamper around with with these innocent animals. Yeah, exactly. And so it's really satisfying when he gets his just desserts. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get the explanation of Gremlins from, um, what's his name again? Dick Miller. Dick I can't, Miller. I can't remember what his character's called. I can't remember what his character's called, but he's like, oh, there were Gremlins in the machines in the war times because that's what that's where the term Gremlins really comes from, um, apparently. And yeah, so we kind of get a little bit of that um, and that's when later on when he's going, there's Gremlins! Um, you know, he kind of justifies why the film is called Gremlins. Uh, but yeah, we see a little bit of like um, Billy and Phoebe Cates kind of getting on and getting a bit closer. And this is where she starts talking about how it's the most suicidal time of the year, Christmas or whatever. And she's totally not big on Christmas. She hates it. She gets really uptight and funny. Some people have a nice Christmas, but some people are opening up their wrists. Yeah, exactly. And you're just like, fuck, really fucking dark for a Christmas movie. And just out of nowhere as well, which is a bit weird. Yeah, it doesn't mesh with the tone of the film or her character at this no. point. And it's really, you feel shoehorned in and just weird. And it kind of is to preempt you into what happens a bit later, which is fair enough. But that I'll kind of go into that scene when, um, when it comes up. But I kind of understand that this is just pure, like, she's just being a fucking downer. And all right, later on, in hindsight, it's like, this is where it's coming from. But this is because later on it's kind of done as like it's almost a bit goofy like comical like black humor the way it's um black comedy where it's he's dead but the fact he's got stuck up a chimney at center with christmas presents is a little bit goofy and funny in itself even though it's quite dark this is just pure dark this is like there's no goofiness in it she's saying people kill themselves at christmas yeah. there's not like a funny situational story or anything that could be interpreted as funny. I mean, what's it doing here? Does someone just really want to get that uh, that message? Yeah. The uh, national suicide statistics, we've got to get them in here. Yeah. And then Billy's just like, oh, with it. that's a bit sad, never thought of that. Anyway, do you want to go on a date? Yeah, yeah, like not thinking that she's some psycho, which is how she was kind of coming off as. So they're like all getting set up and they're already excited. The doctor's drawing blood from this other little gizmo-looking guy. Not and now right. they're watching... Um, uh, what, they, what are they watching here? They're watching like another, again, it's like whatever they're watching they watch on TV is films. kind of referencing what's happening, what, what's about to happen in the film. So like Invasion of the Body Snatchers is on it. With it the starts with It's a Wonderful Life, which obviously is a Christmassy film. Yeah. And then you've got like, uh, whatever, the Clark Gable... Um, uh, Casablanca? It wasn't, I don't think it was so? Casablanca, but it was whatever it was, but it's like a romantic scene. 
And then most... that, was, that was around the Phoebe Cates thing. And now he's watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where it's like, oh, the horror and everyone's been taken, town's been taken over. And people are going to burst out of pods. Pods, yeah, exactly. The pods. Um, probably the most important f- film that they watch, I don't even know what film it is, but it's that stock racer. Stop, oh, sorry, yeah. stock car racer. Yeah. Um, which obviously plays into the final scene. Yeah, the end bit. And that's Gizmo watching it, kind of getting excited by all the cars. So yeah. they're like painting and he, stuff. And then he looks at his clock because the other naughty gremlins are hungry. Gizmo's, Gizmo isn't hungry, but um, yeah. And so uh, he goes and gets some fried chicken. Again, this was a reference to like a black stereotype because he's giving him fried chicken. I'm just saying that's what I read. I'm not saying it's a thing. It's just one of the opinions of people that have about it. Um, gives him gives him the fried chicken. They realise it's after midnight. So he wakes up and they're in these really cool, like alien looking pods, which look all like uh, wet and slimy. And they're like almost like spider eggs. And they're kind of like webbed against like yeah. the side of the bed. That you know, like something stand standalone. Something straight out of HR Geiger. Yeah, exactly. They look so cool. And this is one of the things that impressed me as a kid, um, I think, because you do get these scenes that are actually quite grisly and disgusting. And mm. they, they do, at the right times, they do ramp this film up into being Pure quite horror. horrific. Yeah. And the, the next, yeah, from here on out, it does get kind of get quite horror-y. So um, he's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. His mum comes up and she's like, what the hell are these cool things? But they look like, yeah, they're like, they look like the gremlins like kind of crouched. As you said, you can kind of see a spine. They look like they're kind of crouched and hunched over. Um, so anyway, she, he's like, oh my God, someone bit through my clock. So as you said... They've got some. Um, uh, they they want to be fed after midnight. They want they've to be these gremlins, yeah. Um, and so they chew the wire. Um, that was how they managed to make him think that it was earlier than when it was. He goes to see the one that he goes to the doctor, who's in a cage. So the pods in the cage, and it's all disgusting. Corey Feldman is there again, um, and being like his best mate, and that's still a bit weird. So now here comes a really cool, this is probably one of my favourite, if not my favourite scene in the thing, which is the mum, randomly, um, who's talking to the dad. So we now know the dad's out of town. He's at this convention or whatever. And that's where you see Spielberg running around on a bike. Um, And yeah, so she's, um, uh, so she's at home by herself, basically. You get, and that's not the scene, the scene I'm talking about is coming up. But yeah, then you get Billy with the evil old woman again. And there's a bit of, yeah, I didn't really understand this bit. It was like, um, I don't really understand, like, and there's a, there's a B-plot that's happening, which I'll go into a bit later, which there were some deleted scenes. But I'm not really sure what the point of that scene was, just that the evil woman is still evil. And there was the mum that you saw earlier who was trying to get money for her kids to eat or something weird. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you're about to reference in terms of deleted scenes, but I was just felt that was all working towards... Uh, building up her character, yeah. so you get. I think it's a reminder, right? The point like, of building her, her, yeah, and the point of her character is basically for the payoff of her being yeah. being killed, killed yeah, um, <laughs> which is bloody satisfying. Which is satisfying. So we come back to the school, and the doctor's showing like some kind of film, and basically all the pods start hatching, and it's really cool. There's loads of smoke. Poor Gizmo's hiding, and it's all like really wet and disgusting again, still. And um, yeah, uh, the doctor, uh, the doctor, well, yeah, the doctor's like, get out of here. And then in the background, you're seeing like they're watching, like basically, um, like someone working on a pig heart or whatever it is. And so you've, you've kind of got like a real life body horror thing kind of going on in the background. And it's all like wet and slimy and there's, it's all like pulsating, kind of like the pods that you're seeing at the same time. Um, and yeah, so the doctor comes and has a look and he's like, oh, you know, what the hell's, what the hell's going on here? Billy comes in and finds the doctor with a needle in his bum, which is referencing the fact that obviously he took blood from earlier. Yeah. And then uh, we were talking about this at the time. I'm not sure if it's like he's supposed to have been like sedated, which I don't think he is, or he's been killed because you don't see him ever again. So I think the idea is that he's dead, like the screaming has actually killed him. Um, and because you're, you're not actually seeing it, still makes it like you still, your kid head, as you said, you didn't actually think he was yeah, dead. It's, it's almost like killed. an 18 kind of kill. Where uh, people are dispatched, but you don't see it happen. Yeah. And it's not quite confirmed. Yeah. So it's quite smart, really. Yeah. Um, But I think, you know, in my mind, it works to suggest that these gremlins 
are dangerous and everyone's in like mortal danger. Yeah, so it's a real threat here. And so you get quite a cool scene where he's kind of running around the school um, and, you know, he's trying to get away from the uh, this evil gremlin thing that he's just kind of you're just catching glimpses of and you're not quite seeing it properly yet, um, which is quite cool. And then, yeah, you've got a cool bit where he runs into um, to get his hand fixed because it scratched his hand. And then he like pops out and attacks him whatever and runs away. So now we know what the mother is going to be dealing with. Yeah, by so herself. So we've seen by herself. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Them attack someone, possibly kill them. Had little glimpses of it. It's attacked Billy. And there's four of them. Yeah. Five of them in the house. Yes. With the mother. Yes. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. And... It's quite cool because as well, at the same time, that whole school thing, it's a bit like a slasher prom night or something like that yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, this is what I was talking about, my favourite scene. So the mum's like, oh, I wonder what's going on. She comes up, um, but they've cut like the phone lines and stuff, which is all pretty cool. She sees the things wiped up and she's like, oh my God, there's music coming from downstairs. She goes into the kitchen and this is basically where she's like action mum. And she grabs a knife and she's not afraid to fucking use it. And we get our first full proper view of a gremlin and it's amazing. Yeah. Sitting there eating... Horribly evil. Eating the cookies. Yeah. Really horribly evil and literally like devil spawn. Um, They did a great job designing the Mogwai and and gremlins. Yeah. And making them. All of that is just incredible to me. Yeah, they look great. And can you imagine them making a film like this now? Yeah, they just, they'd, they'd budget. Yeah, they would budget because it would all be CG. And these look, these look so cool how they are. Um, so, yeah, she kind of comes in and as he's looking into like a food mixer and she turns it on and <laughs> literally blends this gremlin in what is a really horrible, so grisly. disgusting scene. And luckily it's like green blood. So it kind of makes it, again, a bit, you know, if it was red blood, I think people might have a bit more... Be more horrific. <laughs> yeah, a bit more of a problem to it. It makes um, it a bit more cartoony. Yeah, exactly. And then, and so there's... So the other one that's throwing plates, and she's just holding up a table to kind of stop herself, she, like, goes full in, like, I'm going to stab this thing to death, look. And yeah, this is brutal. Yeah, it's really brutal. So she literally, like, proper big horror film... Kitchen stabs, like, right above your head. And she's like getting, you know, she's got like the chills afterwards. But then there's like another one which she puts in the microwave, sets it on and the thing like just kind of explodes slash melts. Spectacular. One of the most spectacular deaths in a, any kind of like monster film I can think of. Yeah, it's great. And anyway, by this time, Billy's come back and you see, um, was it Stripe? Stripe, who's like the kind of yeah. head uh, evil um, gremlin, basically, and you'll know because he's got a Mohican. And they're able... Oh, they kill another one by cutting his head with well, the sword she, to put into the fire. So she goes to the fireplace and something's moving in the stocking. <clears throat> and she goes to cut it and actually the toy robot falls out. That's what's been moving in there. Yeah. And at that point he pounces because he's hiding in the Christmas tree. Yeah. 
Oh, he's um, choking her, yeah, with the lights. Yeah. Well, then, well, no, you assume it's him choking her, and that's quite brutal. And Billy comes in, takes a sword off the wall, mm. whacks its uh, head off, and the head goes in the fire. And again, a really great kind of like death scene. Yeah. But actually, they look up, and Stripe is still there. Still there yeah. He's on the windowsill, and he gets out, and that is like. The yeah. beginning of the, the kind of next stage of the storytelling of like, okay, we've had them invade the domestic space, but now one's got out. What's going to happen? Yeah. We know that the Mogwai can spawn. Yeah. Maybe the Gremlin can as well. Yeah. And there is a thing where it's like, they are surrounded in snow, which is essentially water. <laughs> Frozen water. <laughs> surrounded by them. But, you know, yeah, we don't talk about that. So, um, yeah. So basically, uh, Billy, for some reason, kind of, Goes to the YMCA where I guess he's following the tracks. Well, it's fun to stay. Uh, yeah, exactly. Kingston Falls. And um, yeah, he goes in, basically goes into the swimming pool, sees like, uh, I keep going to call him Spike, Stripe has fallen in. And there's this cool bit where like the water's bubbling and there's loads of smoke. Like they've gone really crazy on the smoke machine here. And the water's going green and bubbling and all this stuff. And basically um, Stripe has given birth to like tons of gremlins. So Billy goes to the police and he's like, you got to help. And you would probably notice one of the coppers is Mike from Breaking Bad and, or, you know, whatever, Better Call Saul, you know, all that, um, which he's most well known for these days. And they're like, oh, you know, whatever, kid. You know, we don't really care. We're just small town cops. It's another sort of sci-fi movie trope. Yeah. The bumbling cops. And I think it's actually a direct reference to a scene that happens in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, probably. Where he's trying to tell them, for God's sake, yeah. they're coming. Yeah. <laughs> You don't understand. And they're like, get this Looney Tunes out of here. Yeah. Yeah, right, kid. And uh, you see the stop motion, all the gremlins turning up in this weird little yeah, stop motion miniature. And then you see Dick Miller and his wife. His, his wife's like really happy and sweet and lovely and everything's like twee and great. And um, yeah, and then he's just like, oh, whatever, um, you know, fuck this bitch kind of thing. <laughs> and, and he goes and he sees his like truck thing Um basically starts up and basically bulldozes its way into the house. And that's and then it. it like looks you're not even it sure. Cuts. Yeah, it cuts. We don't, do we see them again? I can't I don't think I don't think we do. I mean I know he's in Gremlins too. Yeah, but, but um I think in this film that's it. Yeah, he, he so, might have died in this film because it's literally that if they bulldoze in and then they're trapped in the corner of the house and you just see the close up of it uh, like attacking them. I think that's it for them in this film. So the suggestion is they're dead. Well, yeah, we know better. Yeah, but, before the uh, sequel, yeah, I imagine you think they're dead. I spent six long years thinking he was dead. Yeah. Well, that's all you were worried about. If he, if he did. Couldn't sleep at night for six years. Isn't he? <laughs> um, and then we see, like, and then there's all these, like, little funny comical moments, like a bit of slapstick, where it's, like, the guy posting the letters in the letterbox, and it's just spitting it back out, and he doesn't really understand why that's happening. Um and yeah, and anyway, the cops starts getting the cops start getting calls about something going on in the town. So they're like, oh, fine, we'll go figure it out. Um, and they go in, and this is the cool bit where you see Mrs. De- Deagle. Yeah, and she's on a stairmaster, but like wigs off, and she's just like some frail old cat woman, basically. Um, and you know, the kind of monster that's been walking around is, um, yeah. you know, she can't like the curtain's been drawn back. Yeah, exactly. And you see, she's just like this little old lady, but really. she's still sour, she's still and miserable. Dick. Yeah. yeah, still an absolute dick. And um, yeah, basically she goes because she goes, she gets the doorbell and the carol singers, and she goes to like throw water on them or something. Yeah, and lo and behold, it's the gremlins. Yeah, the gremlins are singing carols again. It's goofy, it's stupid, it's silly, um, and like the fact that even like the, the gremlins would know like to do stuff like this. Like, like guys, okay, get get your hats on, get some music yeah. sheets. I mean, maybe the inference is that they've killed the carol singers who were there yeah, earlier yeah, and taken maybe. their stuff and it's just continuing what they're doing for a laugh. It's funny, like, because we've had them established as, like, really sadistic killers mm. and now it's like, let's have fun with them yeah, and actually make them a bit wacky. Yeah. Um, and it works. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, the poor old woman, Mrs. Deagle, um, gets on her stair lift. She's like, oh, my heart, my medication or whatever. <sighs> and then she gets thrown. <laughs> she gets... It like does this high speed cut where she gets thrown outside the fucking top of her house. She's dead, and it's Basically. brilliant. Like the velocity with which she comes out. Yeah, of the really top good. That's a really good shot. And then you get to see her uh, comically, just like on her back. You see her feet like in the snow. Yeah, a bit like um, 
you know, Wizard of Oz or something. Yeah, good point. Yeah, Ruby slippers kind of sticking up the Wicked Witch of the yeah. East or whatever it would have been. Um, and it's great because she's just been painted as such a horrible character. Yeah, so. yeah, and everyone's like, all oh, the Gremlins are laughing. The cops see it happen. Yeah, um, and they're like, oh, okay, fuck this. Like some shit's happening. So. Meanwhile, the dad, we, you know, the dad's trying to get home and he's like, just, you know, there's all these kind of funny scenes with him. Um, More of his wacky inventions. Exactly. Trying to be like the traveling salesman almost and selling his wares. And then we get like a quite a long scene in the bar where poor Phoebe Cates is still working. She's not even bothered to like leave or they're trapped in there or whatever. And um, she's basically getting everyone drinks and trying to like sort them out and they're, they're drinking loads and they're smoking and they're basically being uh, rumbunctious. Is that the word? And obnoxious. Um, this is probably one of my favourite scenes. Um, it's really because, good puppet work. Yeah, this is where they seem to be going to town now. They're like, um, let's use the gremlins and show as much personality with them as we can. Let's really spotlight how good the puppetry is and just have them... I mean, it must have been so much fun coming up with the different variations here yeah. on the characters and like giving them things to do. Because um, you've got them like they're like flashing, yeah, and drinking all the beer, playing mm. cards, gambling, yeah, fighting with each other, yeah. It's just really good fun, yeah, um, yeah, and just it's just quite a cool visual effect scene. They're playing Star Wars, the video game, I believe, mm. as well, um, and yeah, you kind of see Stripe being in charge still. And anyway, basically Phoebe Cates makes a runaway for it. She gets in the car. Billy's there. Um, they've kind of turned that right. And then they go to the bank. And I'm not really sure why they're at the bank. Um, still don't really know why they go there. No. But then this is where Phoebe has her scene where she talks about how her dad disappeared at Christmas and he was found up the chimney dressed as Santa Claus with all the presents. He'd basically got, he'd fallen and broke his neck or something. Yeah. Um, and he was dead. Now, apparently... Spielberg and the studios wanted Joe Dante to cut this bit out because they were like, it's way too dark. Dante was like, no. Um, he fought to keep it in. And his main reason apparently was that it tonally fits the film in the sense of it's the representation of the, and this is what I said before, of the horror element to it. Your dad's dead at Christmas, falling down a fucking chimney dressed as Santa and also the kind of goofiness of that death. It's ridiculous. And it's the thing is, it's played so super straight yeah. that it comes off as like, I don't know how well she can play it. It sounds like I'm being detrimental to what she's trying to do, but it kind of doesn't really work. And I, I can kind of see why he's put it in and it's maybe to give, it's to give the character a bit more depth, as you were saying at the time. And um, maybe it is just a bit, you know, but it's like we're having this like really fun, raucous time. And yeah, there's a horror element to it, but there's no like emotional, like really deep emotional thing going on. And you don't really want there. It doesn't need it in this film. You're not really asking for it. It's a very simple fairy tale kind of thing. And this just comes out of left field and nothing is you know what what is it there for what does what purpose does it serve well, exactly i mean it almost feels like it's being inserted to play into something that's going to happen at the end uh, which it never does yeah. um whatever the intention with this was i don't think it works no any, it's a really strange level. thing and people do have people still have a problem with it to this day but joe dante stands by it and basically it's his film so whatever <laughs> that's what he wants to do so anyway we see like the dad um, it's now slowly, slowly, slowly getting home. Uh, they're walking around the city and it's just basically, uh, that's one of the things I was saying as well, is it's basically like deserted. Um, at a local cinema is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Fantastic, great choice of film for them to be watching. Yeah, for them to be watching the first Disney film. Um, and again, as you were saying at the time, it's all like, you know, innocence and like, ch- ch- it's literally pure childhood fantasy kind of thing. Um and it's pretty cool, this bit. So when they go in, there's the great scene of them all in the cinema watching the film and everyone's going mad. <laughs> Apparently, they got every single member of crew to do something <laughs> for that shot um, so that it, you know, looked the way it does. Everyone's waving at Gremlin. Yeah, basically. Um, 
And again, you'll notice like the deep reds, all the angles are skew with, like I was saying before. And yeah, it's all cool. And all these gremlins have kind of got their own little characters. I mean, why they've congregated there anyway is just fucking weird. And why is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? Such a, like, why have they chosen, chosen I just, that? I can't think of a more perfect film. It's iconic. It is like so, so innocent. And you get, obviously, Hi-Ho, which, yeah, you know, we get this great sing-along with the gremlins. And it's just like... Um, perfect, I think, for as a, as a bit of a, a gag, really. Yeah, and they seem to be really enjoying it. There's also a weird element here where they've gone from being like murderous monsters to now it just sounds like they just, they just looks like they just want to have a laugh. Yeah, <laughs> I was just trying to enjoy it. I was like, fucking hell. The other so, thing is like it's Disney, and I think part part of like tying into some of the theme of the film is like the way like Gizmo is kind of seduced by uh, like modern culture yeah um and the gremlins like it as well you know you see them playing video games in the bar and everything and it's like this is like emblematic of like american mainstream culture yeah so they gravitate towards it true yeah and then this is kind of the thing we're saying as well where it's weird how um like in maybe other films it would be more like we've got to like help them see what they're doing or whatever but no they're out and out like we need to murder every single one of these monsters and they basically um, blow up the cinema, essentially, with mm. them, with all of them inside. Good plan. Apart from um, Stripe. Oh. It's also the element of like, you know, they're in a cinema watching it and they're like, there's, a, there's a, that shot where they're tearing through the screen and obviously people would be watching this at the cinema. Yeah, so, really cool. Yeah. Um, Have you ever seen this at the cinema? No, I don't think so. I might go and watch it sometime. They often show it at the Prince Charles oh, really? once a year or something. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Well, yeah, they blow it up and like Gizmo's kind of like there as well. Um, like, you know, being a bit more of a nuisance really more than anything. Until the end. So then there's this weird bit where um, yeah, Billy goes in, he's after Stripe and then it's again, it, this is like the horror element coming back in. Um, you know, he's got a baseball bat. He's ready to like basically kill Stripe, but Stripe's kind of playing all these tricks and even like luring him deeper and deeper into the um, uh, cave of, as it were, um, of this modern department electric store. department yeah. store. Yeah. So um, yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Phoebe Cates is like trying to figure out how to do like the lights and, um, and there's the fountain she, going. As, well, she, I think she does it, doesn't she? She accidentally, in trying to turn on the lights, turns on the, the fountain. fountain. Right, right, And right. then you're like, disaster. Yeah, that means he's got sauce now, even though we has to do really is turn on the tap and he'll be fine. But um, so, yeah, so Billy's trying to go around and then basically he gets defeated by one of those tennis ball things that shoot tennis balls at you. But he's like carrying like he's been shot. <laughs> Like, like a oh, yeah, well, because he's just had these like really nasty looking circular saws thrown at him, and you're like, Christ, right. this is getting serious. Yeah. And then he starts firing just balls at him, and that's enough to like, like knock him on his. Yeah, <laughs> instead of just getting out the way, he's just like crumbling into like a ball, <laughs> like a little pussy boy. Uh, and um, yeah, and then basically, Stripe bloody turns up with a chainsaw, and this is quite cool. So it's apparently it's a homage to uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, which is by Toby Hooper, who just did a film with uh, Spielberg at that time, where there was a lot of problems with, which was... Invaders from Mars. Poltergeist. Oh. <laughs> um, where Spielberg wanted to make Poltergeist, but he was too busy making E.T., so he used to flip. When he was finished on E.T., he would go oh, okay. and stick his oar in at Poltergeist and got under Toby Hooper's skin. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and there was a the whole thing, and that's why um, in Poltergeist, what originally Toby Hooper, like Steven Spielberg's name was huge. Yeah. And Toby Hooper's name was tiny. And Toby was like, you've made it look like it's a Steven Spielberg film when I've actually directed it. But apparently yeah. on the set, there was differing things. The crew was saying that Steven Spielberg was just sticking his oar in and he actually directed it, not Toby Hooper. A lot of people were just like, Toby Hooper stuck up to his guns, but after a while, he was just like, whatever. Like, I can't be bothered, basically. Spielberg huh. wants to make his film, like, why choose me kind of thing. He got really annoyed. Yeah. But one of the things, and now it's a thing to do with the unions, whatever, and all this stuff, is you can't have a producer's name bigger than the director's name. In the right. Um, huh. Yeah, it's interesting. So now we see Gizmo's coming to the rescue and he's in his car, driving around like yeah. he was, like yeah, as you said, referencing the You get a little echo scene. as well, just to make sure you're, you, you and you hear it, it yeah. do his little audio <laughs> cue. Um, so yeah, uh, like the chain, he's really going at him with the chainsaw. Um, and yeah, so anyway, uh, he goes into the... Um, 
fountain, spike, uh, spike, he goes with spike, uh, stripe, and he starts bubbling, and he's like, oh no, what are we going to do? He's literally got his finger stuck in it. Like yeah. And then like all these things start bubbling. Oh, bubbling he's back. Oh. Gizmo, Gizmo comes to the rescue and basically opens up the um, uh, like window, basically the blind, and apparently it was part another. Well, there was an additional bit where Billy opened up another one, then Spielberg came in and said, "No, just Gizmo. Gizmo's the hero." So Billy nice. Was, so got cut out. Wow. <laughs> so it was just Gizmo that opened it up, and then you have this really cool shot where Stripe is basically melting into the skeleton. It's like the end of um, so Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever. Yeah, his yeah. face is when they look at the Ark. Um, and it looks horrible. Like his eyes go all white and like it looks like it's going to explode. It's all this yellow gunk it's everywhere. It's liquidising, isn't it? Yeah, literally. It's really disgusting. Um, and, and then, then all the, the dad part- just pops in. He seems like pretty cool with it. He's back now, by the way. He got back. He was, um, you know, he's just walked in whilst there's this horrific, <laughs> like death happening in front of them but none of them seem that bothered like I know the idea is that they're not this is all done on a different day or whatever but they look like they're not they're not like disgusted or anything by it they're just like it's almost like it's completely normal um so anyway Gizmo has saved the day Billy comes in and I I love the bit where it's like the skeleton jumps out um it's like one final carry style like gasp and then, yeah, falls onto the floor and it just, this skeleton melts into this, like, heaving goo. So he's completely disintegrated now and that's basically the end of that. And they're, like, looking after Gizmo and the Chinese guy comes back and he's like, you guys aren't ready, you can't deal with this shit. Um, I'm taking him back. Here's your money, you suckers, you American scum. Um, look what you did, you don't understand what you're doing. Apparently he's, like, 80 years old and uh, apparently that means dead now, obviously, but um, at that time looked amazing and um they were saying they had to like they really had to make him look older because actually underneath all the makeup and stuff he's actually got really youthful like great skin (laughs) he doesn't actually like look particularly like really old i'm surprised he's old yeah and um yeah so that's kind of it so the chinese guys just like they have their little message as you were saying before where it's like yeah um, but he gives we gives uh, the dad a telling off and basically says you know uh, Americans aren't ready for this kind of responsibility. Yeah. But he, uh, Mog- uh, Gizmo wants to give a special message to Billy. Yeah. And, it's, and then it's kind of like, but you, Billy, one day you might be ready. You're because the he's shown, the shown something, hasn't he? He's shown you can step up and take responsibility. Yep. And then we get that. Which is the great, the great music. Great music. Jerry Goldsmith, uh, not Danny Elfman, as I said. On not Danny Elfman. No. Um, Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, soundtracks to this album, album? <laughs> it's film, <laughs> yeah. which makes a great album. Yeah. Um, it's fabulous. I just love the musical cues in this. Yeah, it's really good. And you were talking about um, this special vinyl record of, yeah, let me talk about that. Mondo, who do reissues of cult film soundtracks uh, on the kind of like deluxe vinyl editions, did uh, Gremlins a few years ago. Um, one disc is a kind of like mogwai coloured, it's like marbled brown, and the other one's like gremlin coloured, it's like gunky green. Um, and what's cool is it comes in this sleeve that is um, reactive to both sunlight and water, um, which I've never seen on any other record before. So when you take it into the sun, um, some sort of chemical reacts, and it's like a mostly white cover, Mm. But then all these other images come out. Mm. So basically, I think I think the one that's sun reactive is like a picture of um, Gizmo, mm. and then under the sun you get all these other mogwai, mm. and then the one if you put water on it, then you see all these other gremlins appearing. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's really cool. That's really cool. Really expensive as well. <laughs> oh, really, I bet. Um, um, so other people. So um, for. Zach Gallagher's role of Billy, Judd Nelson, and apparently Emilio Estevez uh, auditioned for it. I can imagine Emilio Estevez in that role. Yeah, apparently um, Judd Nelson did it way too angry, which I can kind of imagine. He didn't mm. have that kind of softer touch, which yeah. Billy kind of needed. Um, and yeah, the budget was $11 million. It made $153, over $150 million at box office. Success, um, that is. Uh, and in the original script, we were talking about this a bit last night, um, originally the dog was going to be eaten 
They were going to have a scene at McDonald's where customers were being eaten. Um, the mum's head was going to be cut off and thrown down the stairs. Um, Gizmo was also supposed to be Stripe, but then Spielberg said, no, you need a good gremlin. So Gizmo just remained normal and Stripe became obviously another gremlin. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the original script was a lot more horrific. Um, and Good decisions, in my opinion, because yeah. it made it something really different. There's no other film quite like this. I imagine some of that, I mean, keeping Gizmo as a very nice, fluffy, very marketable yeah. kind of creature, especially after E.T., I yeah. imagine he must have that in the back of his mind as well. Yeah. And there was the, uh, you know, when we were watching it, there was a reference to Boy's Life and, like, Space something, which was a reference to, which is to paint Spielberg happy, apparently, like E.T. and Close Encounters references. Um, apparently, Howie Mandel did the Gizmo voice, who you wouldn't have heard of here, I don't think, but um, he didn't do the Gizmo singing, just the Gizmo voice. And apparently he presents, I want to say, like the American deal or no deal. But apparently he's been, apparently he's been in stuff. He's like known for in America for doing things. Um Yeah. <laughs> Who did the singing? Who did the singing? I don't know. Didn't say. Couldn't find out. It's actually really good. Thanks. (laughs) Um, So some of the alternate and deleted scenes, they had an opening where the dad was in Chinatown, but was talking to another shopkeeper. And he says, and he goes, I just want something like unique. And he keeps bringing him stuff out. And he's like, no, not that. No, not that. Like it's kind of stupid stuff. Um, and he's like, oh, I want to find like, you know, some kind of gizmo, hence where the name gizmo comes from. So it gets referenced uh, there. Yeah. And then the little kid is like, hey, you should come to my grandfather's shop. He's got some cool stuff there. And he's like, oh, okay, kid, show me. So they just cut that entire bit. So it's just, he's just following some kid into a shop. Yeah. It um, sounds like a fairly innocuous, unnecessary scene. Yeah. One um, of the things we said like, we like about this is, is like the tight. Yeah. It's very time, tight. Very tight. Very pacey. Yeah. And that, uh, scene isn't needed, but it, I suppose it, it does give some context to why you don't really need to know again why he's called Gizmo because you just think, well, it's, what he's an inventor. That's kind of like a term used as for a gadget or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, another one was um, Billy getting chastised for being late at the beginning. So you kind of get a bit more of his work life. You see a bit more of Judge and um, the boss as well, the paint boss. Um, and then there's another bit where Billy's in his room making a Troll Warrior comic. And if you notice, he has a Mad Max Road Warrior thing. And so it's kind of referencing maybe that a little bit, but also it gives a sense of like, he's he's got like a project that he's trying to, he's got a personal, he's not just like drawing, he's got like a personal vision or whatever, some yeah. actual thing that he's trying to do. And they talk about it, but it's not like, like you, you don't see it properly. It's quite, it's discarded quite quickly, that aspect, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Again, that's made more of in the next film. Sequel, yeah. Uh, there's another bit with Billy dropping off the Christmas cards into that post box with that same guy who's there. Oh, right. Again, so it's just kind of setting up the post box thing really a bit later. It's okay. not really adding anything. It's just having a little convo, but yeah. Um, and then the boy, the big one is that there's a scene showing um, like Phoebe and Billy get a um, map out of the town and you see how Mrs. Deagle is planning to get houses uh, to be like foreclosed or whatever. Uh, and she's going to sell off the land to like a chemical factory. So it's a whole subplot about how evil she is. And I think it's right in cutting it in that it's completely not necessary. Like it doesn't really go anywhere. It's kind of, t- it distracts from the focus of the film. And you already got a sense that she's like evil anyway. Like why yeah. build her into like, and also it's like, you've got judge as well. So it's like, you don't need to have all these like bad people or whatever. Enemies in it. Yeah. They've done enough to establish her as like an Ebenezer Scrooge and she gets her nice downfall. Yeah, exactly. Are these scenes available anywhere? Because yeah, I you have... Can watch, you can watch them on YouTube, I think. Still. Really? Yeah. I have DVDs the uh, digital versatile disc. Yes. Well, it'll be on, it should be on, they're not on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you'll be able to see them on YouTube. Yeah, sure. Um, I might put them in the show notes actually so people can just watch them. They're not, there's only like 10 minutes or something. Um, and that's it. That's Gremlins. I think we've got anything else to say about it. Have you? Um, one thing I thought was interesting um, was always like the cover art yeah. for the videos and the posters and things. So I remember, I think, or it feels like, first time I saw it in the video shop, it's got the image of like Billy's hands holding the box. And then it's almost like the gremlin is ripping through the video box. Yeah. 
And I think it says they're back. Um, so I think maybe that was like they did like a they tried to reissue or repush it because the really original like posters and things are just that image of Billy holding the box and there's this cute pair of hands yeah, and the eyes. That. Yeah. Um, and cute, clever, mischievous, intelligent, dangerous. What's the um, thingy quote that's here? Yeah. So then later on, and you'll see variations. You've got the gremlin ripping through that that image. Yeah, and um, it's crossed and, it off and gone. We're here. Oh, not their back. Yeah, we're here. So it must have just been a alternative, maybe, or maybe it was released at a later. Maybe it was a marketing thing for like the VHS or something yeah, like that. Maybe when the film was actually released. Uh, yeah, but I thought that was, was quite VHS. cool. Yeah, because you don't get that many. Uh, like so again, it's like part of its self-referential nature, where they keep making references to things. Uh, you know, like the gremlins coming through the screen. Yeah, things like that. I just thought that was a cool part of the uh, marketing. Yeah, film. it is cool. And yeah, it's uh, Stripe as well. Um, yeah, it's good. Uh, great film. Great Christmas film as well. So it's, hopefully you should set the mood for everyone to you know, have a good, nice Christmas, Christmassy film. <laughs> Christmassy film, watch along with A New Winter. <laughs> yeah, well, you can do it. So you watch with me and Dan. And yeah, sign up to Patreon, www.patreon.com slash a new winter, two W's, A-N-E-W-W-I-N-T-E-R, type it in, press enter, go, sign up, it's all on there. And there's exclusive episodes and I'm putting some more stuff up there as well. So um, take a look. Uh, you can email us, newwinterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Instagram at newwinter, Twitter at newwinter. And thank you everyone for listening. Dan, where can people find you? If they're interested in music, you can find me at Dreadful Discs on instagram and youtube the youtubes um thanks guys and yeah we'll see you on the next one see ya bye culture Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.